Well, it is a privilege and an honor to be worshiping with Christ Church this weekend. I count it a humbling experience anytime pastors invite me to open up the word of God to their people and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. It's not something I take lightly. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says these words. He says, we all with unveiled faces by the beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory unto the next. And this is all done by the Holy Spirit. So that is my task here. That is my job here this morning is to so placard Jesus Christ before you. To so place him on a billboard that you see him and you see him alone. And that by seeing our Savior Jesus Christ, you yourself would be transformed, as Paul said, from one degree of glory unto the next. Would you pray with me this morning and ask for God's help? Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer because we need your help and your guidance. Lord, even at our most spiritual, even at our best, we need you, O Lord. It's not a time, there's not a moment in which we can say we have this on our own. Every moment of every day, oh Lord, we need you. Even now, as we open up your word and hear what you have to say to your people, we ask that you may be glorified, that Jesus Christ may be lifted up, and when he is, he may draw men unto himself. This is your time. These are your people. Be glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as was introduced, uh, my wife and I, we have three children, three and under. So if y'all think about us, pray for us, please, please, (laughs) please pray for us. It's, It's an amazing experience. Amazing to say it just drains you of energy, but we love it. We love it. So having three kids, three and under, I, I deem myself a bit of an expert on child rearing. My wife might disagree, but I think I am an expert, a bit of an armchair expert on how to raise children. And within a course of an hour, uh, my two oldest will come to me about a hundred times and ask me for something. Daddy, ice cream. Daddy, cookies. Daddy, crackers. Within a course of an hour. Now, I know that if time goes past and I don't hear from my two oldest children, Something is very wrong in the household somewhere. There is a hole in the wall. One of their toys have been flushed down. They have tried to body slam their baby sister. Something is wrong somewhere in the household. Because my two oldest have uh, sort of deduced in their mind that their relationship with me is transactional. That somehow innately, 
They have based their relationship with me on the good versus the bad. And if everything is going good, they can come to daddy and ask for anything. But if something is wrong, the requests, they seem to stop and they stop abruptly. They think that daddy would sit back and weigh their good versus their bad. And based upon that, my answer will either be yes or no. I will say, well, little Stephen, how many good things have you done today? How many bad things? And at the end of the day, if the good outweigh the bad, then I will say, sure, you can have whatever you want. But if the bad somehow outweigh the good, they have concluded that the request will automatically bring a no. And I wonder, brothers and sisters, how many of us who are loved by God, How many of us who are called by God interact with God in a similar fashion? I wonder how many of us sit back and think of God as this cosmic entity who has two scales in his hands. And when we go to the Lord, the one who loves us with an everlasting love, that somehow God is weighing our good versus our bad. And based upon whichever side the scale falls, This is how God will interact with us. I wonder how many of us sitting here or standing here have stopped requesting things from God because we think that, oh man, our bad has outweighed the good and God will no longer hear us. As we look at Exodus 33 and 34 this morning, I I want us to come away with the mentality of Moses. That Moses understood that when the people of God are at their worst, it is at that exact moment that they need God the most. And it is at that exact moment that God welcomes them into his presence with the greatest love and the greatest compassion and the greatest sincerity that man has ever felt. We walk away with the mentality of Moses, we'll come to the conclusion that, man, when our bad does outweigh the good, it is at that moment that we need to cling to God, the tightest. So Moses, in Exodus 33 and 34, I wish we had time to to read these chapters and to give you the context of what's taking place here, but we do not. So for the sake of time, let me give you the context of Exodus 33 and 34. What is taking place here? Well, you have God who sees his people in bondage. They are under the strong and cruel tutelage of Pharaoh. God hears his people calling out from bondage. And God says, I'm going to rescue my people. They have been in bondage well over 400 years, and just like that, God comes down and he frees his people from slavery, thereby telling us that it doesn't matter how long an individual has been in bondage when God wants to save a person. He can do it easily. So he comes down and he rescues his people from bondage, and they get out into the wilderness, and at the first opportunity... At the first moment of them waiting on the Lord, they create a golden calf. 
And as you saw in the video, at that exact moment, Moses was up on a mountaintop and he was hearing from God. He was talking to God. God was giving Moses his commandments. While Moses was doing that, the people of Israel were down there with all of their ingenuity. They were creating a golden calf and saying, look, this is the God who has freed us from slavery thereby telling us that sometimes men with their ingenuity can create and worship anything and call it God. It is in the midst of this cesspool of rebellion. It is in the midst of this sin that Moses has the audacity to ask something of God. In the midst of this staunch rebellion, Moses concludes, Lord, we are sinful, but we need some stuff from you, God. And he makes three requests of the Lord. His first request is, Lord, would you, would you dwell with us? Second request is, Lord, would you show your glory to us? And his third request is, Lord, would you, would you atone? Would you atone for us? In the midst of this sin, when everything was going wrong, Moses, much unlike my children, said, you know what? Things are bad. Things are not going the way we expected. But we need the Lord. So Moses says, Lord, will you dwell with us? If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 33 or scroll to Exodus 33. Give your fingers a bit of a workout this morning. We're going to be jumping back and forth from Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. But to start, I'm just going to read the first four verses of Exodus chapter 33. This is what the Lord said to Moses in Exodus 33 verses 1 through 4. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt. To the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. As you're reading verses 1 through 3, and as the Lord is talking to Moses, and God is saying to Moses, hey, Moses, I understand what happened with the golden calf. I understand my people are sinful people, but tell you what, go up to the land that is flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give it to you. As a matter of fact, if there is anyone standing in your way, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and every other ite that you come across, if there is anyone standing in your way, I'm going to drive them out before you. I'm going to do everything that I have promised I am going to do for you. Land flowing with milk and honey, give you wealth and prosperity. The entire land will be yours. No enemies will be able to defeat you. You will have victory over all of them. And so for a moment, 
In between verses 2 and 4, we get the impression that everything is all right. God's people are sinful, but God somehow sort of sweeps this sin under the carpet. Everything is going well. Everything that God has promised, he is going to provide. And then we get this pregnant pause in verse 3. God says, I'm going to give you everything that your heart desires, but I am not going with you. If we were to build a bridge from then until now, I wonder how many of us, how we would have reacted to what has taken place here in Exodus 33. Hey, I'm going to give you everything that you ever wanted. Great job, great house, wonderful kids, three of them, three and under, everything that you ever asked for, I'm going to give to you. Health and wealth and prosperity and nobody will come against you. And then the Lord says to us, but I'm not going to be with you. I wonder how we would have responded to that. We'd have said, Lord, that's cool. (laughs) Just give me everything I asked for. Just give me everything I want. It is cool. I'm okay with that. Just give me my heart's desires. But that's not how the children of Israel responded. If you look at verse 4. This is how they responded. When they heard this disastrous word, they mourned. When they heard that they would receive all of the promises of God minus his presence, they did not think this a good word. And they mourned, brothers and sisters, even in the midst of all of their sin, when they realized that they would get everything but not get God, they mourned. It was at that moment that they realized that the promises of God minus his presence, it's worth nothing. A couple months ago, I promised my oldest son that I was going to take him bowling. My oldest son, he's three years old. He, he loves to go bowling. So I promised him, I said, little Stephen, daddy's going to take you bowling. We're going to go out. We're going to have a good time. And he said, daddy, go bowling. I said, yeah, we're going bowling. And I said, when we get to the bowling alley, I'm going to buy you one of those huge 48-ounce things of slushies. Daddy, slushy? Oh, yeah, it's going to be good. And we're going to order a pizza, and we're going to put everything on that pizza. We're going to go to the vending machine, and you get to pick out whatever candy bar you want to pick out. And my son starts doing his little happy dance. Oh, candy bars. And I say, hey, little Stephen, the best part about all this is that mommy's not going to be there. So we get to eat whatever we want to eat without the judgment Oh, mommy's not going to be there. And he does a little happy dance because he knows if mommy was there, we'd be eating like kale smoothies and stuff like that. And, and we don't really like that too much. And so I said, yeah, we're going we're to do all these great and glorious things. But then there was a conflict in my schedule. I looked at my son and I said, son, man, I, I was going to take you, but something came up on daddy's schedule and I won't be able to go. But tell you what, I, I'm going to pay and I'm going to have somebody else take you. And you still get to go bowling. You still get to have that slushy. You still get that pizza. You still get the candy bars. All of those good things you still get to have. And, and my son looked up at me with this look that would have broken my heart. 
they said, Daddy, you're not coming? At that moment, he realized that something rather someone vital was going to be missing. The slushy didn't matter anymore. The pizza didn't matter anymore. The candy bars didn't matter anymore. What mattered now is that he has concluded that Daddy wasn't going to be there. And I think that is a similar response to what Israel does here in Exodus 33. All of those good things, all of those things that we wanted before, all of your promises, O Lord, they mean nothing if your presence is not with us. This is the conclusion that even in the midst of their sin, they wanted God. They needed God. And they said, God, we don't want your presence minus your presence. We need you with us. Brothers and sisters, if you hear nothing else, hear this. That to get the promises of God minus his presence is a bankrupt position to be in. That the glory and the good news of God being with us is that it is exactly that, that God is with us. That is the glory of it. That is the great spiritual equation that everything minus God equals nothing. Yet God minus everything equals everything, beloved. If we get everything our hearts desires and we don't get God, we get nothing. The children of Israel knew this. Oh, I hope that we know this as well. So Moses says, Lord, we need you to go with us. And the crazy part about this whole thing, that in the midst of this sin, in the midst of everything going on, the crazy part about this is that God actually answers the request of Moses. Even in the midst of the sin of his people, even when they were at their worst, God hears them. And what's even crazier is that he answers in the affirmative. He says, yes, I will go with you. Because Moses said, if, if you do not go with us, how will we know? How will the world know that we are different? Is it not with you going with us? The world will not know that we're different by what we have or what we wear. But the world will know that we're different because we have God and God has us. Moses makes that request. And God says yes. Now Moses is feeling pretty good about himself. He says, wow, if If this is how God is, if even in the midst of sin I get to ask something of God and he answers it, well, I'm on a roll here. Let me ask something else. Moses, like my kids, if they come to me and say, Daddy, can we have some cookies? And I say, yeah, go get some cookies. They will say, well, we fit the jackpot. Well, Daddy, not just cookies. Can we get some ice cream? Since you're in a good mood and you're feeling good about yourself, let's keep on asking. This is what Moses does. God, you would dwell, you would fellowship with, you would commune with a sinful people? If this is a type of God that you are, I I need to know some more of who you are. 
I need to know more of you. So Moses makes the request in Exodus 33, verse 18. He says, Lord, I need you to show me your glory. I need you to show me what type of God it is that would dwell and that would love a sinful people. If there is a God who would love a sinful people, I need to know more about who you are. Moses tasted and he saw that God was good, but he wasn't satisfied. He needed just a little bit more of who God was. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever tasted something of God? His goodness, his kindness to you, his love for you. And you said, man, if, if this is who you are, God, I need more of who? I need more of you. This is what Moses does. God, if you're this good, we, we need more of you. We need more of who you are. This is the conclusion I came to when I started dating my wife. I said, you, you would date me? You would humble yourself? <laughs> Come down and date me? If that's the case, girl, we got to get married. Because I need to know more of who you are. If it's your personality that you would deal with me, I need more of who you are. This is what Moses does. God, you would be with us, you would love us, you would commune with us, you would take us for your inheritance. If this is who you are, I I need more of you. You know what's crazy about all of this? That even in the midst of this cesspool of sin, even in the midst of Israel at their worst, God answers the request of Moses. He not only answers it, brothers and sisters, but he answers it in the most glorious way possible. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Moses says, God, show me your glory. And the Lord says, you can't get all of me because you can't handle it. But here's what you can hear. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. In the midst of all of this, Moses has tasted of God. Now he's hearing of God and God passes before him and he says, Moses, let me tell you what type of God I am. I am a God who is slow to anger. I am a God who is kind. I am a God who is merciful and compassionate and I keep my love for thousands upon thousands of generations. If you are sitting here and and you have tasted of the love of God, you are the fulfillment of this request that Moses made thousands of years ago. That God is not only faithful to Moses and Israel, he loves a thousand generations. And he loves you and I. Not only does he love us, he loves us with an everlasting love. Not only does he love us, but he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. All of the above. We come before God covered in who we are. And God says, I'm a God who is compassionate and merciful and loving. 
if you don't know this God this morning, it is my request that you would taste and see of how good God is. But Moses is on a roll. Again, much like my kids, Moses says, God, you're going to dwell with us? You're going to show us your glory? God, since you're obviously in a good mood, let me ask one more thing of you. God, would you atone for us? Would you forgive our trespasses? If you look, if you will, at Exodus 34 and verse 8 and 9. Exodus 34, 8 and 9, and this is what Moses, this is what his response was. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. Not only that, but take us for your inheritance. Lord, you are good and you are kind and you are merciful. But God, you don't know who Israel is. We got a whole bunch of sin. And we need you to pardon it. This is Moses' request. God, you're forgiving, but does your forgiveness have a limit? Have we met the quota of your forgiveness? So he makes this final request. Moses says, Lord, you have to pardon our sin. Moses brings Israel and himself before God, all of who they are. And he says to God, God, this is who we are. This is what we bring to the table. We are full of sin. We are full of weakness. We need you to forgive us. Moses knew that trying to pretend before God after God saw them for who they are, was an exercise in futility. Moses says, God, this is us, no mask, no facade. This is who we are. We need you to forgive us. My former job, I was on the interview committee. And that's always a fun thing to do when you're interviewing people because you really get to see some of the personalities that you're dealing with. So we had a guy come in and and we gave him the status quo question. Well, tell us about one of your weaknesses. Give us one of your weaknesses. And you know how they train people sometimes. They train them to turn their strengths into their weaknesses, right? So I'm sitting before this guy, and I said, hey, tell us about one of your weaknesses. He said, you know what, Mr. Love? One of my weaknesses is I am always on time. <laughs> really? That's your weakness? Yeah, I just, I just can't help but to be on time. My wife always gets mad at me, like, why are you always on time? Can't we run late just one day? And he says, no, wife, I'm always on time. I said, really? That's, that's a weakness that you're giving to me right now? I said, you know what? Fine. Give us another weakness. He said, you know what, Mr. Love? I'm just, I'm just too diligent. I'm just, I'm just too committed. Wife gets mad at me like, honey, you're just too committed. I'm, you're just too diligent. Can we do something else? And I, when I get focused on a task, I am just focused on it. I say, you know what? That's, that's funny. Really? That's what you're going to give me? That you're always on time. You're always diligent. This, these are your weaknesses? But this is how we have been trained. And I, if in all honesty, I have trained some people in a similar fashion. Turn your strengths into your weaknesses. But I imagine that we have brought this mentality into our worship of God. That somehow we have to put on a facade before God. 
That somehow we have to put on a mask and we stand before God and we say, God, you know what? I am just too spiritual. And God says, really? That's the issue? Don't you know I know you? Don't you know I created you? We imagine many of us have walked in this building, in this sanctuary this morning. Many of us automatically as church, so we put on the mask and we have to pretend. Oh, but I want us to walk away with the mentality of Moses that God knows who we are. And he loves us anyway. We bring our resume before God and at every bullet point, all the experience we have on that resume is filled with sin. It's filled with weakness. And God looks at us and he says, you know what? You're the perfect candidate for my love. Isn't this what Jesus said time and time again in the New Testament? I have not come for the well. I've come for the sick. I have not come for the righteous. I have come for the unrighteous. And so we stand before God, all of who we are. God, we are sinful. We are weak. And this is the very grounds for which we need you, O Lord. And the crazy part about that, brothers and sisters, is that God sees us in our weakness. He sees us covered in the filth at times of our sins. And he loves us anyway. He adopts us. He cares for us. If there's any place, if there's any location whereby we don't have to fake it, it is in the presence of God. Because it is at that place and in that moment that we realize that the Lord loves his people. Why does God love his people? people, the Bible gives us a simple explanation because he loves us. God, why do you love us? Because I love you. But God, is because I'm beautiful or I'm kind or I have this or I have that. No, no, that's not the reason. I love you because I love you. And that's a good position to be in because that's a position that never changes. That's a position that doesn't alter. Bible is clear. Beauty fades. Things go away. But when God has set his everlasting love on a people, that never changes. In the midst of all our sin, in the midst of all our failures, God comes and he loves his people. In the midst of all this, Moses makes this request and God answers it all in the affirmative. But you know what is more glorious than that? Is that Moses just got a little taste of who God is. Because John writes in the book of John, in John chapter 1, and it's almost like he is echoing everything that has taken place in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. Because John writes and he says, Moses asked this way back when, but Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of all the requests of Moses. Jesus Christ is God dwelling with us. Moses says, God, would you dwell with us? Jesus Christ takes on flesh, and John writes that he has tabernacled among us. He has moved into our neighborhood, as one writer says. He has come where the sinful are, and he has loved us. 
Moses asked God, would you show us your glory? And then John writes in John chapter 1 and says that Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of the glory of God. If you have seen Jesus, if you have met with Jesus, you've met with God. Moses asked and says, God, would you take away our sin? Would you pardon us? And then John writes in John chapter 1 and says that when Jesus came, he brought grace upon grace. He not only brought grace, but he doubled it. Just in case we start to thinking that Jesus' grace has a limit. Brothers and sisters, it has no limit. Paul writes and he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Sin will never outdo the grace of God. And so we stand in the presence of God, all of who we are, and we say to Jesus, take us as we are. For this is all we bring. And Jesus says, you get it. You understand. I've come for the sinful that I might make them whole. Oh, brothers and sisters, Moses understood that when we are in the midst of our sin, it is at that moment that we need him the most. The old saints used to sing, I used to hear back in my old church, they would sing that song that says, Give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all of this world You can have it all. Just give me Jesus. Because when we have the presence of God, when God is with us, loving us, and fellowshipping with us, there is nothing that can compare. Would you pray with me? O Lord, the writer said, O for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise. Lord, if we had all of those tongues, it still seems inadequate to pour on you the praise that you deserve. For you have loved us when we were unlovely. You have cared for us, nurtured us, and you have shown us this magnificent grace upon grace. Oh, Lord, everything else, everything else outside of your presence, Lord, it is sinking sand. May we have you, oh, Lord. And may you have us. And with all of these things, we will be satisfied. For you are good, and you do good. We pray these things in the wonderful and matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.